Whenever I mention the word ministry, what is it that comes to your mind? Um, just think for a moment. What comes to your mind when I say the word ministry? Uh, for a lot of people, what will come to mind is the pastor, because the pastor is the minister. When we talk about going into the ministry, we normally talk about a pastor or a staff member, something like that. Um, if we had to come up with a good working definition for what it, what a, what it means to minister or, or the word ministry, uh, a good concise definition would be this, anything you do to help somebody. Anything that you do to help somebody is ministry. And I think more and more of us need to come to that realization and understand what it is because I think within churches, uh, people that are in churches, the believers have a lot of distorted uh, ideas about what ministry is. Now let me give you some examples from my personal life of people that have ministered to me over the years. Whenever I was 20, 21, somewhere in there, Deborah and I were married and um, going to church and, you know, it was just... I had grown up in this church, and I had always listened to the pastor, and the pastor would preach a sermon on uh, salvation by faith on one Sunday and salvation by works on the next Sunday. And it didn't seem like he knew what he was talking about, and he was thoroughly confusing me. I began to attend a Bible study by a pastor who used to be in that denomination but had left it, and he had left because of a lot of the... Um, legalism and things like that. But anyway, Danny was his name. And Danny taught a Bible study on grace. And I'll never forget this. He went through the book of Galatians. And it's like the light came on for me because I began to understand what grace was. And I've preached a lot of what he taught me over the years. I've preached to you and you know what what I'm talking about. But when I think of somebody ministering to me, I think of Danny and the ministry that he had early in my life. And really what led me to uh, go into the pastorate myself because I was so um, excited, uh, overwhelmed with the reality of what grace was. I went to Florida, graduated from Bible college there, and we came out here in 1981. We were living in Duncanville at the time. And we didn't have a church. We were looking around for a church. We didn't know any. We only knew one couple in the whole state of Texas. And they had gone to Bible college with us and they lived, you know, in the community we lived in. But we didn't know anybody. And we were looking around visiting churches. And we visited a church over in DeSoto, Faith Bible Church. And there was a couple there. And to this day, I don't remember their names, but I can picture their faces. And the first Sunday we came in, they invited us to, the, to go to their small group that week. And they said, don't you worry about a thing. Just come on and go, and we're going to come and get you and take you, and we're going to provide the food, and you don't have to bring anything. Just come. So we did. We had a great time. And that was one of the things that happened to us that really just drew us into that church. And ultimately, I went on staff there eventually, and we were there till we left and moved up to Indiana. But that was ministry. They reached out to us and, and, and invited us in and went out of their way to make us feel a part of the church at a time when we desperately needed it. Some of you have done that to other people. Maybe you've had it done to you where somebody in the church just reached out to you and pulled you in and made you feel welcome. We left that church in 1992, left the state of Texas, moved up to Indiana and on our way out the door, so to speak, a couple in that church, Wade and Marilyn, gave us a van. 
Now, I was looking to buy a vehicle, and they just gave us one. It was one that he was getting ready to trade in. It was only a couple of years old. Um, he said, I just want to give, you this, give this to you. We drove that thing for probably the, the next 10 years. And it was a blessing because we were, you know, moving and, and all of that, and we didn't have a lot of money. And uh, that was ministry, you know. They ministered to us in a way that we so desperately needed at the time. And over the years of ministry, people in churches, including your, yourselves, have written notes of encouragement and just notes of appreciation. That's ministry. You see, it doesn't really matter whether somebody teaching you or just loving on you or giving you something or just encouraging you. All of that falls under the heading of ministry. Now, there's so much more that goes into that, but anything that you do to help somebody is what we term ministry and what the Bible refers to as ministry. Now, every believer is responsible to minister to other believers. That is what we've been called to do. We, we have no excuse as believers. We are to do whatever we can to minister to and to help those around us and those in the community and people that don't even, perhaps don't even know the Lord. But before you do, because there's a little bit of misunderstanding or distortion, I think, in the our understanding of what ministry is, there are several things that you need to know and you always have to keep into the forefront of your thinking whenever you deal with ministry. And I want to share with you today these three things that you need to know or call it three things you need to remember when it comes to the topic of and the practice of ministering to other people. Let me just tell you what they are then we're going to talk about them. But here are the three things. Number one, the motivation for ministry. You need to know why you ought to be doing it. What is it that's going to motivate you to do ministry? What's the purpose of it? Why are you doing it? Secondly, I want, you, I want to talk to you about the focus of ministry. What's the goal? The focus. Because you need to understand that. You need to understand the focus and what it is when we talk about ministry that it is. And then thirdly, your assignment. What is your particular assignment? So we want to talk about that today. Now let me jump in, okay, because I want to talk to you first of all about the motivation for ministry. Why it is that we as believers should be involved in ministry and why it is that when somebody asks you why devote your time, money, effort to helping other people and being so involved in their lives, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Now this is an important question because a lot of people fall by the wayside because they can't answer that question. They look at ministry as something that's to be avoided at all costs because it costs you your time, your freedom, your money, all kinds of things. So why be involved in it? That's what you need to know. Because once you have that crystal clear in your mind, then it changes everything. So I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that's going to, you're going to think, well, this is kind of an odd Scripture. Um, I'll agree with that. But I want to take you to this one because I think it shows you what I want to convey to you today. Let me set the stage for this passage, okay? This is after the resurrection of Christ. You know, he appeared several times to the disciples, and this is one of those occasions. The disciples have been out fishing all night, waiting on the Lord to contact them again. And they are tired, and they've been fishing, and they haven't caught a thing. They're about 100 yards offshore. A man is on the shore with a fire burning. He yells to them, have you caught anything? And they say, nothing. He said, throw the net on the other side, and they do. And they haul in more fish than they could pull in on the net without it tearing. 
And about that time, the apostle or the disciple John says to Peter, he said, that's the Lord. And when Peter heard that, he jumped into the water and he swam all the way to shore. And the disciples bring the load of fish in. And when they get to shore, the Lord is sure enough there. And he's already prepared for them bread and fish on the shore there by the fire. And so they sit there talking, and I just can't imagine what it would be like to sit there and face-to-face talk to the risen Lord. Now, they'd spent all these years talking to Christ about numerous things, but this is different because now he's been resurrected. And now they are in conversation with him. And it's during that breakfast or following the breakfast that this event takes place. And here's what it says in John 21, verses 15 through 17. Let me take you through this. It says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these what? Well, he's probably looking at the other disciples that are gathered there saying, Do you love me more than your brethren here? Do you love me? Well, John says, yes, Lord. Or P, I'm sorry, Peter says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, and take care of my sheep. A second time. Now, he's going to ask him three times. People debate, why did he press this? Why did he push it? And there are all kinds of theories, I believe, because Peter denied him three times. This is the Lord giving Peter the opportunity to convey his love verbally three times. That's just a theory. But it says now in the next verse, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, guys, don't miss this, okay, because this is important. Three times he asks him, though, you love me, and if you love me, then feed my sheep. If you love me, you take care of them. In other words, if you love me, then you minister to these people because I'm going to be leaving, and I'm leaving you here, and it's your job to do this. And here's the motivation for it, Peter, in case you're wondering. All I'm asking is this, if you love me, then do this. And guys, there's the motivation, our love for him. Jesus did not ask Peter, Peter, do you want to have rewards in heaven? Then feed my sheep. Now guys, we know that that's true. The Bible teaches that, but that's not what he asks him. That's not the motivation. Jesus didn't ask him, Peter, do you want recognition here in this life and be popular and well-known? Then feed my sheep. Well, you know as well as I do that people that are ministering are well-known. They're people that other people love and gravitate to. You're going to be recognized. You're going to be appreciated when you minister to other people. But that's not the motivation. He never asked him, Peter, do you want blessings? Do you want me to bless you in this life? Then feed my sheep. He didn't say that. But yet we know that's true because of other passages in Scripture where it says that. But that's not what he says this day. He never said to Peter, Peter, do you want joy and purpose and meaning in life? All of that's true because we know it from other places in the Bible. But that is not the motivation that Jesus gives here for Peter feeding his sheep. Peter, there's one thing. And if you love me, 
then you do this. Notice also that Jesus never said, Peter, if you love my sheep, feed them. Now that's important. Because sometimes we get the idea, the motivation for feeding the sheep or tending the flock or ministering to other people. The motivation behind that, the reason we do it, is because of our deep love for people. And guys, i got to tell you, that is not true. Because there will be times in your life where you don't love people. When people are unlovable, they're unlikable, you don't even want to be around them. When they turn your stomach with things they do. When you're angry at them and disgusted with them. That's the way life is. And it happens often in church. It happens often among believers. And if that was the determining factor as to whether or not you and I minister to each other or to other people, we'd never do it. He never said, you need to love that person to minister to them. He said one thing. He said, man, if you love me, then you minister to them. And that's the only qualification here. Because that's important for you and me to understand. We make excuses and we say things like, well, I just don't like people, or they make me mad, or I just don't feel confident around people. We make all kinds of excuses as to why we don't minister to other people. And Jesus has just eliminated all the excuses. He said there's only one qualification. If you love me, then do this. Now, guys, I don't know what your excuses may be for sitting on the sidelines and not being involved in the lives of other people. I don't know what that may be, but I want you to understand that as far as the Lord is concerned, there's only one question you have to answer. And that is, do you love him or not? And if I love him, then I will minister to his people. When I understood grace for the first time, now, let me explain what that means. When you grow up thinking that God doesn't love you, when you grow up thinking that you have to earn his love, when you grow up thinking that the least little thing that you might do might cause God to push you out and cast you aside, you don't have a lot of love for him. But when you finally come to understand the grace of God and his love for you, all of a sudden you fall in love with him. And that's the whole difference, see, among, with many Christians. Their concept of God is so distorted, they don't really love him. But when you fall in love with him, what happens is something very unique. And that is that God instills within you or creates within you a love for people. And guys, you can't just manufacture that, you know? When I understood the grace of God, like I said, back in those days in the 70s with Danny Griffin and just learning and, and, and studying the scriptures, I began to fall in love with people because I began to become concerned about other people and whether they knew about this or not. Did they understand what the grace of God was? Did they understand what he had done? And that compelled me to pursue ministry on a full-time basis that propelled me into seminary and so forth. Now, when you understand the grace of God and you understand who he is, when he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter saying, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. He said that that's all the reason you need to know. That's the only thing that matters because if you love me, then this is what I'm asking you to do. And I'm asking you to minister to other people. Our love for people becomes the evidence 
that we love him. Please understand this, okay? It's almost as if God is saying, do you want to know who really loves me? Who really feels and is drawn to me and understands me? Do you really want to know? Then you look to the person who's loving other people because that love is evidence that they love me. You know, Jesus told the disciples one time, he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples and that you love me. How? Because you love each other. That's what they're going to see. And they're going to know that that's, that's supernatural. That God could give you a love for people that are just flat unlovable. And that's true sometimes, even in churches. People just are just unlovable. But yet God gives you the grace and the motivation to love them because you love him. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 through 21, it says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have, whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The motivation, you see, the motivation for ministry, the motivation for me caring about people, for the motivation for you and me to reach out and do things that we normally wouldn't do, is not because we love the person necessarily, but it started with our love for him. And if I don't love him, then I'm not going to love anybody else. So when I fall in love with Jesus Christ, when I understand what he's done for me, then that compels me to minister. And this is what Jesus is trying to convey to these disciples. If you love me, then feed my sheep. Take care of my flock. Love my people. That's the motivation. It's very simple. But yet we sometimes miss it because we focus on the individual. They're not worthy of love. They're not worthy. And God says, if you love me, do it anyway. Here's the second thing that I want to show you, and that is the focus of our ministry. The focus. Three times in that passage, Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And three times, Peter responded, yes. And then three times, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Take care of my people. Guys, don't miss this, okay? Because if you want to know what ministry is, here's ministry in a nutshell. Ministry is always about people. Always. Okay? Now, sometimes we distort that understanding because we get caught up in all kind of things that we think, well, this is what ministry is. But in the, in the end result, either directly or indirectly, whatever we do in church or outside of church, it has to have the motivation or the mindset or the focus that, you know what, this I do because of people. I do it to enable or to enhance or to improve other person, another person's life. Jesus said, feed them. Now, what do you think he meant by that? Was he talking literally about giving them food? Well, possibly, but that goes much bigger than that. I want you to care for them. I want you to do what's best for them. I want you to help them to grow. Do whatever's necessary to enable that person to become all that they can be for me and what I want them to be. Uh, listen to me very carefully, okay? because this is going to change or distort some of your, your preconceived ideas. We do not serve a building. 
we do not serve an organization. We do not serve a denomination. We do not serve preconceived philosophies or methodologies that everybody puts out as the newest and greatest thing. We serve the Lord. And we serve people because of that. Now, does that mean that we don't minister in the church to the building? Of course we do. Does that mean that the other things that aren't necessarily directly tied to ministering to people aren't really ministry? Well, of course that doesn't mean that. What it means is this, that whatever I'm doing, my mindset has to change. And I've got to begin to understand that whatever I do, if my focus is I'm doing it as unto the Lord for these people, see, this is ministry. So often when we, when we do things in the church, we think to ourselves, well, I was a real sucker. I'm the only one that got called or I'm the only one that volunteered and I'm stuck with this job. And see, you change your mindset and everything changes. That whatever I do in service to the Lord within the church and I'm focusing on people, how does this task minister to people? It changes everything. Let me give you examples. Whether you are a teacher or whether you clean the floors, you're doing it for people. Whether you share the gospel or whether you mow the lawn, you're doing it for the people. Whether you worship or whether you fix the plumbing in the church because it needs it, you're doing it for the people. Somehow to enable the people within the body of Christ to Worship better, serve better, minister, whatever. But I'm doing it because I love the Lord, but I'm doing it for you. You're my focus. It's always about people, whether it's direct or indirect. If you're remodeling the church or you're involved in the nursery, doesn't matter. It's always for people. We don't have nursery workers and people can't come to church. It's an indirect application, an indirect ministry, but nonetheless, it's for the people. When you invite somebody to church or you take a meal to the sick, it's always for the people. Whether you give to the needy or you work on the sound or the video or music or whatever, it's always for the people. Whether you work in prison ministry or in children's ministry, it's always for people. That's the focus. And all, all too often, I've seen this in, in all kind of different areas of ministry and in churches I've been in, that people get into the routine of, of doing their job or their task in a church. Um, it, it could be anything, you know, coming in to fix plumbing because it needs to be fixed. And they get burned out and they get this, this down in the dumps and they get aggravated because they feel like they're being taken advantage of because they lost sight of why they're doing it. They lost sight of the importance of the task because ultimately it affects people. And my point here is this, that if you and I begin to understand that my motivation for doing these things is because I love him. I may be mad at you, but I love him, so I still minister to you. And you are always the focus, no matter what we do, 
it's always about people in the, in the end because that's why we do what we do. So if I can keep that in the forefront of my mind, then I'm not going to become tired and burned out and aggravated and mad because it's happened so many times in churches where people get burned out with ministry because they don't quite understand it. There was another passage in Scripture where Jesus was dealing with the disciples. It's in Matthew 25, and here's what it says in verses 35 through 40. It's a familiar passage to you. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Look at the different ways of ministry there. Thirsty, stranger, need of clothes, sick, in prison. These are all areas of ministry. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick in prison and go visit you? When, Lord, that doesn't make sense. And then he says, he says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Oh, now guys, listen. I've come to the realization that my love for Jesus Christ is real. And because of that, I minister to people. And not always do we love each other, but I minister anyway in various ways because I understand that the Lord may not be here, but you are. And when I minister to you, I'm doing it as unto him. And I love him. Therefore, I minister. Now, if you and I can continually keep this mindset of the motivation for what I do is my love for Him, that then whatever happens within the body, whatever happens within your area of influence, whoever you get mad at, how frustrated you get, it won't matter because you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for the Lord. But they are the focus. And no matter what you do, whatever menial task you may think you have, you begin to see it as something that is being done for the body, for the people. Then all of a sudden it becomes important. It takes on a different meaning. And that, I believe, is part of the problem here with us as believers is that we don't always see the tasks that God gives us as important or meaningful because <coughs> it may not be directly tied into somebody's life. And my challenge here is that you begin to see that differently. And that you begin to see it as just that very thing, affecting lives. Let's move on quickly to this third point, and that is your ministry assignment, your particular assignment, because here's where the paths separate, okay? We have the same motivation, our love for Christ, and we have the same focus, people. Either directly or indirectly, it's people. But now what do I do? Well, that's what's different. That's what's unique about the church. Everybody's different. They're gifted differently. They're called differently. They have different 
backgrounds and so forth. And this, this is what really makes the church interesting. I want to take you to a passage. Now, again, it's one of those uh, strange passages, you know. You think, well, why did you take us there? Well, just watch, okay? Watch. This takes place right after he fed them on the beach there that day and asked Peter three times if he loved him. The very next verse in verses 18 and 19, Jesus talks to Peter now. Here's what he says. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Talk about odd. Okay, Peter, let me tell you something now that we've got this cleared up about you loving me. You know, because when you're young like this, you do what you want to do and follow your own way, and that's okay. But let me tell you, there's a time coming when they're going to take care of you. You're going to be old, and they're going to lead you someplace you don't want to go. And I don't know what else he told him concerning his death, but it was probably something more than what we're given here. He said, so this is how you're going to glorify me, and this is where, how you're going to die, and I want you to glorify me, and I want you to follow me in spite of that. Okay, Peter, this is your assignment. This is your life. This is what's going to happen to you. You still love me. Now, he never said that, but I'm just ad-libbing here, okay? Yeah. Yeah, I still love you, Lord. Then follow me, Peter. Do what I tell you to do. Feed my sheep. Do the job I've asked you to do. And this is how it's going to end. Now, watch what Peter does. Typical Peter fashion. Verses 20 through 23, watch. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now, this is John. This is how John refers to himself. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had asked him, who's going to betray you? And when, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Now, can't picture this, okay? Peter and Jesus are walking along the beach now, and he's talking to Peter. John, being the one that wants to be in the middle of everything, is following him. And Peter is being told this, and he looks back and he says, okay, but what about John? What's going to happen to John? And what are you going to do with John? And Jesus answered him, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I wanted him to remain, what is that to you? In other words, John's clarifying that little rumor. But the point is this. Peter, if I've given you an assignment and I've given you this job and you know what's coming, why are you concerned about him? What difference does it make? You follow me. You feed my sheep, you minister, and that's all you've got to worry about. And guys, let me tell you something. Over the years of ministry, I have noticed in churches that people gravitate to the tasks that are more visible and more appreciated and more praised. 
And people dodge the tasks and churches that are usually behind the scenes nobody knows about and seemingly nobody cares about. You may be given the assignment in the area of those tasks. What are you going to do and why are you going to do it? Are you going to sit back and say, but wait a minute, Lord, I don't want to do this. I know you've gifted me for it, but I don't want to be a part of this because nobody sees this and nobody appreciates it. So what about him or her? Why can't I be more like them? And to you, God is saying the same thing he says to Peter. What is that to you? Do you love me or not? And if you love me, then do the job I called you to do. Whatever that may be. Okay, Lord. I'll do it. I'll do it because I love you. I'll do it regardless because I'm committed to you. I'm not going to do it for fame or fortune or prestige or recognition I'm not going to do it because it's comfortable and easy and all those things. I'm, I'm going to do it because I love you. And as I go about doing it, then what I'm going to have in the forefront of my mind and my thinking is that regardless of what I'm doing, I know that in the end you're going to use it to bless somebody. It's all about people. And so, Lord, even these meaning, meaningless tasks that I... I look at it and I think, well, who's going to ever appreciate this? Somebody will. But regardless, you do it because you love him. Guys, listen. The call to ministry is the same. It's the same love for the Lord. It's the same desire to reach people. None of that changes. The tasks are different. The areas of ministry and the way we do it is different. But that's as it should be. That's the beauty of the church. If any church, and especially ours, is going to grow, you got to hear this, all of us, need to feed the sheep the way in which God has called us. Because all of us, I hope, love him. And if I love him, then Lord, I will feed the sheep. I will do ministry. I will step up. Guys, if you step up, everything changes. If you step up, the church changes. But it's up to you. Nobody can make you. Nobody can coerce you. Nobody can threaten you or make you feel bad enough to make you do it. And you're not going to do it until you understand why you're doing it and what it is you're doing. You do it because you love him. And it's always about people. As long as you can keep those two things in mind, then whatever path God takes you down is your path. Follow him. Serve him. You be the minister that God has called you to be. That's the challenge. You be the minister that God has called you to be.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we're overwhelmed with the reality of how much you have done for us and our love for you. We don't always show it. But Father, when you look into the recesses of our heart, what you find are people with a heart for God. Lord, I pray for us individually and corporately as a church that we would change the way we think. And that we would begin to see that we're called to ministry and we're going to be dealing with people regardless of whether it's directly or indirectly. It's all about them. But Lord, we do it because we love you. And we love you because of what you've done for us. Because you have saved our souls and you have put us on a path of, of victory. And Father, because of that, we serve you willingly. Father, I pray that every one of us can catch a vision for who you want us to be. And stop looking at other people thinking, well, what about them? And start saying, Lord, show me where you want me to serve and what you want me to do. And may I, like Peter, jump in there and feed the sheep. May I do what you've called me to do to build this church. Forgive me, Father, where we have, I have failed, all of us. Lord, forgive us where we have failed you. And guide us, Father, into the ministry that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.